Now, the title of my message, which is the first in a series in the fruit of the Spirit, is very simple. It is the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the title of my message tonight. It's taken from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and also from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 8, which we'll look at in just a moment. And I'll pray in just a moment. But first, I want to read to you a few definitions of love as defined by some children. And several kids were asked to define love. These are just a handful of things that they said. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell nice for each other. Love is when mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure that the taste is okay. Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and then he wears it every day. Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other for so long. Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he is handsomer than Brad Pitt. That's pretty good, huh? Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. When you love somebody... Your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of your face. This is love as defined by kids. This might be love defined by some individuals in the world, but the Word of God defines love as something else, something a little greater, something a little stronger, something a little more consistent. Not that there's anything wrong with these forms of love, but what I want to look at tonight is the fruit of love as defined by the Word of God. But before we do, we'll go to the Lord in prayer, as we always do, and just ask that He anoint and bless our time together. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are in this place. And it's my prayer, Father God, that the song that we sang tonight was not just lip service, but genuinely the desire, the, the song of our heart. All I am is Yours tonight. And Father, I'm the first one to admit that I need you this evening, Lord God, to anoint my mind, anoint my lips, to bring to my remembrance all the things that you spoke into my life, the things that you sowed into my spirit, Lord, and I pray that I would be able to bring them forth under the anointing of your Holy Spirit without confusion, without distraction, Lord God, without any anxiousness. I thank you that you're always with me as I stand here and I never have to stand alone. And I pray the same for the people tonight, God that you would give them ears to hear, hearts to listen, a mind that could receive and comprehend all the truths that you want to bestow upon us tonight. Not, Father God, for our glory, but for your glory, so that we can be transformed, Lord God, by the renewing of our mind, that we may be able to prove, Father God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in your sight. Help us to take these seeds of salvation and store them in our soul this evening, Father God, that we might bear fruit according to this series. In Jesus' name I pray. Now, like God's people said, amen. Tonight, like I said, we're starting our series on the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of righteousness, you might want to call it. But the first thing that we're going to look at, and the only fruit that we're going to look at tonight is the fruit of love. Not just any love, but the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ. A love that is only cultivated in the kingdom of God. A love that, as we learned last week, that can only be cultivated in a broken and a contrite heart. The love that I'm talking about tonight cannot be cultivated in a carnal heart. 
The love that I'm speaking about tonight cannot be cultivated in a heart of stone, as the Word of God calls it, but a heart of flesh. Not a carnal, but a heart that has been touched by the love of God itself. And we'll look a little bit about that as we go. I'm talking about a love church that is cultivated in a heart that has been been tilled by the hand of God or the hand of heaven itself. Last week I focused on our responsibility as Christians. It was a It was a precursor to this series, but I focused on our responsibility to bear much fruit and fruit that will last, fruit that will endure, fruit that will make it through the hard times and the the difficult times, fruit that will make it through the struggles and the, the difficulties and the sadnesses and the storms that life brings our way. Amen? You see, in this world we will have trouble, Jesus said, but in the midst of all of that, guess what? God still expects us to bear fruit. Amen? And fruit that will last. That's what he's referring to. Because the devil's going to bring things your way every single day to try to shrivel up that fruit, to try to choke out that fruit, to try to keep the, the manifestation of God's work in our lives from being revealed to the rest of this world. So we are to bear fruit and fruit that lasts, church. Uh, What we have to also understand and what we learned last week is that bearing fruit or this kind of fruit is not an option in the eyes of God. When He speaks to this type of love, He does not present it as an option to His sons and to His daughters. He does not present it as an option to children of the King, to His disciples. When He speaks about this love, it's not presented, well, you can bear it if you want to. He calls us to bear it. He appoints us to bear it, as we talked about last night. And He really commands us to bear fruit. What you have to remember is the first and foremost command that God ever spoke over His creation was to be what? Fruitful and to multiply. And when He comes into the garden of our life, when He walks into the garden of our marriage, when He walks into the garden of our family... When he walks into the garden of our business, if we have a business, when he walks into the garden of our workplace, when he walks into our lives, church, he expects to find fruit there. When he walks into the house of God, he expects to find fruit when he walks through the choir. When he comes into the house of God, he expects to find fruit as he walks down this aisle and down this aisle and down that row and down that row. He expects to find fruit wherever his children might be. He expects to find fruit wherever He appointed you to bear fruit, the Bible says. And so we have to keep that in mind, especially when it comes to these items that we're looking at, especially when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of love, which we're focusing on tonight. What you and I need to understand is that that bearing fruit is so important to God because fruit is what brings profit to the owner of the vineyard. Vineyard owners, farmers plant fruit or plant seeds in order to produce a crop, to produce fruit, because fruit is what they sell. Fruit is what they make their money on. Fruit is what they earn a living on. And in the same way, what you and I need to understand is that fruit is what makes us profitable to the master. Fruit is what makes us profitable to our Father which is in heaven, profitable to the one who bought us with a price. You and I need to remember every single day that we're not our own. 
We've been bought with a price, the Bible says, and we are to glorify God in our bodies. And how does the Bible tell us that we glorify God? It's by bearing much fruit. The fruit of righteousness in our lives and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Listen to me. The reality is if we don't bear any fruit for the Father, we're not profitable to Him. If we don't bear any spiritual fruit, if we're, if the fruit of righteousness isn't hanging from our branches, if it's not evident to those around us, guess what? We're not profitable to the Master. And unfortunately, what we discover in the Word of God last week was a vineyard owner came, he didn't find profit. And he said, guess what? He said, cut it down so that I can plant a tree that might bear fruit. And so what we did last week is we consecrated and committed ourselves to bearing fruit. Amen. That was where we were last week because we want to be profitable to the master. What we must be is profitable to the one who planted us as a choice crop according to Jeremiah. God spoke through Jeremiah to the people and said to the Jewish people, I planted you as a choice crop to bear good fruit and much fruit. But guess what? You've turned into a wild vine and the only thing that you're producing is thorns and thistles. And the sad reality is the house of God is filled with a lot of thorns and thistles today. It's not filled with the fruit of righteousness. It's not filled with the fruit that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. The unfortunate thing is you can go down a lot of rows in the house of God and not find love. You can't find the love that God's talking about. You can find backstabbing. You can find gossip. You can find ridicule. You can find a whole lot of things in the house of God. But God said, I've called you and appointed you to bear the fruit of love. And that's what we have to bear in in the presence of the Lord if we want to be profitable to Him. Amen? Listen, the reality is, if there were ever a place for the fruit of righteousness to grow, if there was ever a place where the fruit of righteousness should be cultivated, if there was ever a place where the fruit of God should be being produced, it's in your life and my life. It's in the lives of the sons and daughters of God. It's in the lives and in the hearts of those individuals that dare call themselves a Christian. You see, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, if I'm going to call myself a Christian, I better be bearing some fruit. Otherwise, I'm a big fake. And the reality is, there's no better place for the fruit of righteousness to be cultivated than in the hearts and in the lives of His children, church. As a matter of fact, it's the only place where the fruit of righteousness can be cultivated. I told you at the very beginning, the fruit of righteousness... The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of love that I'm talking about tonight, it cannot be cultivated in a carnal heart. It can only be cultivated in a heart that has been touched by the love of God itself. It can only be cultivated within the heart that has been transformed by the love of God itself. I don't know about you, church, but I'm glad that my life has been touched by the love of God. I'm glad that my life and my heart and my mind has been touched and transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. You see, unless your heart has been touched by the love of God, you can't produce the love of God. I told you before, unless a seed is placed in the ground, it cannot bear fruit. And again, unless we are buried with Jesus Christ, we can't produce the fruit of Jesus Christ. And the number one fruit of Jesus Christ is love. So here's the reality. Not only is it an expectation for us to bear fruit, 
and especially the fruit of love. You and I are the only places on the face of this earth where love can be produced. You and I as vessels of the Father, you and I as sons and daughters of the Most High God are the only place where the love of God can be found, church. And the sad reality is, far too often this world is looking for it and they can't find it. Far too often they're looking for this love. They're looking for this fruit because they desperately need it in their life, but they can't seem to find it even in the house of God, even amongst the sons and daughters of the Most High God. God, forgive us when we allow that to happen. God, forgive us when we are not bearing the fruit of righteousness in our life. Last week, my focus was on the importance of bearing the fruit of the Spirit because it's the very thing that identifies us with Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by the fruit that you bear. And the fruit that he expects us to bear is outlined in Galatians 5, to 23, which is the foundation of this series where Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit, contrasting it against the fruit of the flesh, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit that is supposed to be growing on our branches. This is the fruit that is to be cultivated in our lives. And if you know Scripture, you know that the greatest of all of these is love. Amen? Because if you examine the fruit of love that we're going to focus on tonight, that you will discover that the love of God contains the rest of that verse. When you examine the love of God that we're talking about tonight, you will discover that it contains joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All of these descriptions, church, are wrapped in the same flesh of fruit. It doesn't say fruits. It says the fruit of the Spirit. All of these are wrapped up in one shell. All of these should be being produced in our lives. It's one fruit, and you need to realize they're all wrapped up in this fruit. This thing called love. If you don't have love, you don't have joy. If you haven't experienced the love of God in your life, guess what? Woo! You don't have that joy that's unspeakable and full of glory because the things of this world will weigh down your heart. But when your heart has been touched by the love of God, it doesn't matter what comes your way. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It's my strength in the midst of sickness. It's my strength in the midst of the storm. It's my strength in the midst of my illness. It's it's my strength in the midst of whatever mess I'm going through in life. Listen, if if the love of God has not, like I said earlier, cultivated itself in your heart, you can't have peace. You'll be tossed about by every storm that comes into your life. But when the love of God... And the love of Christ touches the soil of your soul. It doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in. You find yourself clinging to the fact that Jesus said, My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Not a peace that this world can give. Not a peace that some politician can give. Not a peace that your next door neighbor can give. Not a peace that even your pastor can give. It's a peace that comes from Jesus Christ. But please understand, it comes through the love of God. If if your heart hasn't been touched by the love of God, 
You think you're going to be patient? You think you're going to be kind? You think you're going to be gentle and meek and not boastful and proud? You see, when we truly understand the love of God, it does something in our life. It does something in our heart. Please understand what I'm about to say because I'm not saying it in a condemning way. But if you have trouble loving, you haven't experienced the fullness of God's love in your life. If you have trouble being patient, you haven't experienced the fullness of God's love. You got some digging to do. You got some seeking to do. You got some asking to do. You got some knocking to do. You, you, you've got some uh, finding out and discovering to do concerning the love of God. And I can go down that whole list, but my point is simply all of these things that I'm talking about concerning love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, fruit, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, they're all wrapped up in the flesh of this thing called love. And it's what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us tonight, church. The fruit of the Spirit is love and the love of God and the love God is speaking of contains all of these things. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 13, which is the other foundational scripture, defines love and says this. You all know it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It isn't easily angered. It doesn't take out its tablet and keep a record of wrong. Things somebody said. Things somebody done. You understand what I'm saying? Love does not take into account records of wrong. If anybody had the right to record the wrongdoings of people, it was Jesus Christ. But he kept no record of wrong. He hung on Calvary's cross looking down at all the wrong that we committed and all the wrong that we would commit in the years to come. And he looked out and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Amen? And this is the fruit that God calls us to bear. It's the fruit that is supposed to be filling our lives. It's the fruit that's supposed to fill our speech. It's the fruit that's supposed to fill our marriages and our households. It's the fruit we're to carry to the workplace. It's the, it's the fruit that's supposed to be manifested in our ministries. It's the fruit that is supposed to be evident in every area of our life. It should be hanging from our trees, church. It's a love that contains the fullness of Christ's character, a character that should be reflected in our everyday lives. A character that sets us apart from this world like we learned last week. Remember, it's not a three-piece suit that sets us apart. It's not the size of our Bible that sets us apart. It's not the fact that you're on the church membership or on the church roll. It's not how much money you've given to the church or how long you've been coming to the church. Please understand the thing that sets us apart is the fruit that we bear. Amen? It's the fruit that's growing in our life. And it starts with the fruit of love. But we have to understand, once again, that the fruit of the love that I'm talking about can only be cultivated in Christ. It can only be cultivated in a deep, consecrated, committed relationship to Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can produce nothing. 
You see, it's the prideful individual that says, Oh, I can produce without you, Lord. I can be successful without you, Lord. I can make it without you, Lord. I can do ministry without you, Lord. That's the prideful heart. But the, the, the heart that understands the love of God and what He's done for us understands that without Him, we're absolutely nothing. And we can do nothing. Amen? So this is all part of bearing the fruit that, that I'm talking about tonight. This is what God wants us to bear in our lives. Listen, if you want to cultivate the kingdom of God in your life, if you want the fruit of righteousness to be evident in your life, you want it to be evident in your marriage, you want it to be evident in your home, if you want the fruit of righteousness and the fruit of love to be evident in your speech, if you want to bring forth the fruit of the Father, you have to be rooted in Christ. You have to be rooted in the Word of God. You see, this is... This is this is, the, this is the Word. This really is Christ because in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God and the Word was with God. And the Word became flesh and it dwelt among us. This is Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? And if you want to bear the fruit of righteousness in your life, you have to be rooted in the Word of God. You have to be rooted in the Spirit of God. You've got to be rooted in the presence of God. If you don't spend any time in the presence of Jehovah... If you don't spend any time in the presence of the king, if you don't uh, spend any time in the presence of the righteous one, if you don't spend any time in the presence of love, because God is love, don't think that any of that's going to be cultivated in your life. If we don't spend time in the Word of God, if we don't spend time in the presence of God, if we don't spend time in the Spirit of God, if we don't spend time in the house of God, the only thing that's going to cultivate in our life is carnality. The only thing that's going to develop in our life is the filthy fruit of the flesh, church. That's why the Bible says you got to walk in the Spirit so you don't satisfy the desires of uh, the flesh. So you don't produce the filthy fruit of the flesh. We've got to spend time in the presence of the Lord. And we must be rooted in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.17 tells us that we are to be rooted and established in love. Rooted and established in love. That's a powerful statement. I don't think you can have any more power. Your whole life is to be built rooted, established, grounded, solidified in love, on love. Your marriage is supposed to be established in love. Your parenting is supposed to be rooted and established in the foundation and the soil of God's love. Everything about our life is supposed to be rooted and established In love, the Bible says, if you study this passage of Scripture, you'll find out that you actually can read it and say, because the words are interchangeable, because God is love, it's telling you and telling me that we are to be rooted and established in God. That we're to be rooted and established in Jesus Christ. That we're to be rooted and established in the Word of God and in the love of God. And when we are, guess what comes forth? The fruit of righteousness the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and the fruit called love. It will automatically be produced in your life, church, when you plant yourself in the right place. If you want to truly demonstrate the love of God in your life, in your home, in your marriage, in our relationships, we've got to be committed, connected, and grounded to the ultimate source of love, which is Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus 
is the demonstration of God's love towards you and me. Jesus is the evidence of God's love for you and me. Jesus is the fruit of God's love. Jesus is the fruit of the Father. And, and what you and I need to understand is that we have to be connected and committed and rooted and established in Jesus Christ. We've got to live in Him and Him in us, church. And that's how this world will know us. They'll know that we are Christians by our love. For love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. That's the first song I learned as a little kid in Sunday school. Beloved, let us love one another. I don't know. You obviously don't know that one, but I do. We're supposed to be established in love. So please understand if you're not born again, if you're not born of God, if you're not born of the Spirit, if your heart of stone has not been replaced with a spiritual heart of flesh, church, you cannot bring forth the fruit of the Father. You cannot bring forth the fruit of righteousness. You cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Unless you are born of God, the love that I'm talking about cannot be produced in your life. The Greek word for love that's used in 1 John 4, 7, and 8, which I talked just read, and in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 13, is the word agape. It's the ultimate form of love. It's the loftiest type of love. It's the kind of love that is found in Jesus Christ. It's the kind of love that God has for us. It's the kind of love that lays down its life for a friend. It's the kind of love that God demonstrated towards us and that while we were sinners, He died for us. It's the kind of love that He lavished upon us, that He poured out profusely upon you and I when we didn't even deserve it. That's the kind of love I'm talking about. That's what agape love is. It's an unconditional love. It's a heavenly love and it's not an earthly love. It is produced and cultivated in the hallways of heaven and not here on earth. And the only way that it can be produced in our life and manifested in our life is if we are connected to Jesus Christ, grounded in Jesus Christ, church can only be cultivated in a heart that has been touched by the love of God itself. In the Greek, there are four words to our one word love. And unless you understand these words, you'll miss what God is calling us to when He tells us to love one another. When He commands us to love one another. You'll miss out what what Christ means and God means when He calls us to bear fruit and fruit that will last or when He says be rooted in love or when He says love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't know the meanings of these, these types of love or these words, you won't understand what God's calling you to. You won't understand the height to which He calls you and I as His sons and daughters. You won't understand what He's calling you and I to manifest in our life, church. So we're going to look at them real quick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these three types of love, but I want to define them as best as I can in order for us to determine the type of fruit that we are bearing in our lives. I want to outline these types of fruit so we can look at ourselves and ask, what am I bearing what level of love have I reached in my life? What level of love is, is being manifested in my life? And the first word we're going to look at is the word eros. It's a physical love. It's motivated by pleasure. 
It seeks to be satisfied and it's the most selfish of every form of love there is. It can also be considered lust because from this word eros and this type of love eros, we get the word erotic. So what you need to understand is that eros is the X-rated love of our society. In all reality, it's a dirty love. In all reality, it's an impure love. It's a perverted love. It's a carnal love. In all intents and purposes, and I'll teach you something here, it is a homosexual love and it is a lesbian love, church, and it cannot produce or fulfill the command of God to be fruitful and multiply. It is not designed by God. It is designed by the devil, church. And you need to understand this because the reality is a homosexual couple, as much as they say they love each other, they cannot fulfill the command of God to be fruitful and multiply. Unless a woman is brought into the picture. A lesbian love, no matter how much they say they love each other, they cannot fulfill the command of the Father to be fruitful and multiply unless they bring a male into the picture. This is not the love designed by God. This is a love that has become perverted. This is a love that is carnal. This is a love that is not manifested, cultivated, or made in heaven. It's the design of the devil, church. And we need to clearly understand that, church. Uh, Eros is a please-me love, a satisfy-me love. You all should know it's not the love of God. It does not grow from the vine of Jesus Christ, and it is not cultivated in the kingdom of God. Therefore, Eros will fail. Therefore, Eros will not endure. Therefore, Eris won't fully satisfy you or me. It cannot produce righteousness in our life. Once this love gets what it desires, once it is satisfied, it moves on to find pleasure somewhere else or with someone else. This is the love that scars. This is the love that walks away. This is the love that hurts, church. This is is a love that does not hang in there when things get rough and it doesn't endure. This is a love that leaves our teenage girls wounded for years to come. This is a love that leads our young men to live empty lives filled with depression because they think they can find love in the backseat of a car. Because they think they can find love in this thing called sex. And they have sex and love, eros love, leaves them for another form of pleasure. You understand when it's not just sex... Eros can fall in love with a bottle of booze. Eros can fall in love with a pill or a prescription or any other form of pleasure that this world offers us. And what we need to understand is that Eros is self-centered and self-seeking and it is not the love of God. Eros is a thorn that is cultivated in the kingdom of carnality instead of in the heavens, church, and by the hand of God. It is not the fruit of righteousness. And it's not the love I'm talking about tonight. The second Greek word for love is stergo. It's represented in three forms. It's a love between people and a ruler. It's motivated by authority, by title, by power, by position, like the people loved King Saul, the Bible says. It says they loved King David. It's a kind of love that will cause someone to say, I love Obama, or I love someone else, or I love Bush, or I love Kennedy. 
It's motivated by position. It's motivated by prestige or by power. The reality is, listen, it's a love for the famous and fabulous, like they love Princess Diana. What you have to realize is that this generation is in love with power. It's in love with popularity. It's in love with prestige. It's in love with title. We're obsessed with the lives of the the rich and the famous. Those in Hollywood, we're in love with the athletes and the entertainers, with the powerful and the influential. The reality is we are smitten by prestige and those of popularity. But this kind of love will also fail, church, because there will always be someone more powerful There will always be someone more prestigious. There will always be someone else that comes along that's that's more popular. There will always be someone with more money and more wealth and the stergo love that I'm talking about will follow that prestige. It will follow that popularity. It will follow that power. This love is fleeting and finicky, and it too will not endure. And I couldn't help but think when I, when I read this just several years back, and whether you remember these names or not, but it proves my point if you don't. These pop groups called 98 Degrees and Backstreet Boys, once they were the greatest thing, and girls and women and everybody was fainting, and oh, greatest thing, I love them, I love them, I love them. Posters everywhere. A year later, who else? Who's up on the wall now? So my point is, when I talk about that, when you see that being demonstrated, that's a stergo love. And it too is fleeting. Finds the next popular person. Finds the next popular athlete. It too will fail. It won't endure. And the reality is, this is something that the, the Lord is trying to teach us in this passage of Scripture. Stergo is often used to describe... You need to understand this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it's often used to describe a love or affection between a parent and children like an arm around a shoulder. But you and I know quite well that sometimes that shoulder is cold. Sometimes that arm isn't outstretched. Sometimes stergo love, instead of comforting, condemns. Sometimes the love of a parent exasperates a child instead of encouraging a child. You understand what I'm saying? Even that kind of love, as strong as it is, is as affectionate as it is, sometimes that stergo love fails, church. Stergo is also likened to the affection between a child and a puppy. So you could call it a puppy love. You can call it an emotional love. It's a strong affection, an emotional attachment, but it too can fail because you know as well as I do that when puppies get old, that affection wears off understand what I'm saying? This is what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us. The sad reality is even children are abandoned. Even children are walked away from. So this kind of love fails and it's exactly why Eros and Stergo love are not used in the New Testament at all. They're not part of the New Covenant because they are not produced in the soil of a heart that's been touched by God. It's earthly. It's carnal. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a parent loving a kid, but this particular love that I'm talking about, it's not mentioned in the New Testament. It's not part of the New Covenant, which means it is not birthed to the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. There's only two types of love that are mentioned in the New Testament, and that is phileo and agape. And the next one that we're going to look at is phileo. It's a brotherly love. It's motivated by affection and fondness, church. 
the, the city Philadelphia, and I'm running out of time, so I got to move along pretty quickly, but Philadelphia, it's called the city of brotherly love. I'm from the Philadelphia area. And I promise you there's times you can walk down the streets of the city of Philadelphia and discover that phileo love has failed. It used to be the murder capital of the world. One a day in the city of Philadelphia. One murder a day. It outnumbered every... Where's the, where, is, where is phileo? In the city of brotherly love. My point is even that kind of love fails as affectionate as it is, as strong as it is, as emotional as it is. Even though it's mentioned in Scripture, phileo love fails, church. The reality is, listen, it failed with Peter when he denied Jesus three times. You see, if you read John chapter 21, I encourage you to do it. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But Peter, according to the Word of God, had a phileo love for Jesus. He didn't have an agape love at this point in time. It's why he denied Jesus three times, because phileo love won't endure. Phileo love won't hang in there. Phileo love failed when the pressure and the persecution came upon Peter and he denied Jesus three times. Because in John chapter 21, you find after Jesus, after Peter had denied Jesus and he finds out that Jesus is on the shore, he jumps out of the boat and he swims to the shore where Jesus is cooking some fish on the, on the seashore. And they carry on a conversation and the very first thing that Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he uses the word agape. He says, Peter, do you agape me? But Peter replies, yes, Jesus, I phileo you. Jesus asks again, Peter, do you agape me with an unconditional, unchangeable, unmovable love? And once again, Peter says, yes, Jesus, I phileo you. I have deep affection for you. I'm emotionally attached to you. Three times Jesus asked Peter if he had an agape love for his Savior. But the only level of love that Peter had grown to was that of phileo love. My point is simply this. There is a loftier love. There is a stronger love. There is a greater love than that of phileo. And as as heartfelt as Peter's love was for Jesus, at the level of phileo, it failed him. It turned its back on Jesus Christ. It did not endure. It was not sustained. And what Jesus was trying to do was to not condemn Peter, but he was trying to grow him to a higher place. He was trying to uh, give him the understanding that there is a loftier love that you are to be demonstrating in your life as a son, as a daughter, as a disciple because your life is going to be filled with greater persecution, Peter. Your life is going to be filled with heartache and, and headache and sadness and sorrow and the world is going to come against you and the world is going to try to silence you and the world is going to try to kill you. And my question is, Peter, do you agape me with an unending, unchanging love? that won't be influenced. This is what the Holy Spirit is asking us. Do you have that agape love? Do you just have a deep affection for me? Do you, do you just have a, a deep emotional attachment to me? Or do you have an agape love 
that will endure to the end of time because those who endure, my disciples, are the one that will wear a crown. Those who endure, my sons and daughters, are the ones that will have a new name written down in glory. Those who endure will have a robe of righteousness and they will sit at my banqueting table. Not those that just have a phileo love, but those that have an agape love cultivated in the soil of their soul. So what you need to understand is that the first two loves I talk about, they're not even cultivated in the kingdom of God. The second two are are types of love that, yes, we are to be manifesting in our life, but what Jesus is teaching us tonight when He talks about the love that we are to have towards God, when He says, love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, when He says, love your neighbor as yourself, He's talking about agape love. This is what he's talking about. He's not talking about phileo love, church. Because even phileo love will fail. What you need to understand is that when God speaks about agape love, it is never used as an option in the Word of God. Every time you read about agape love, like love the Lord your God with all your heart, doesn't sound like an option to me, does it? doesn't doesn't sound like some a la carte piece of fruit that I can put on my plate if I feel like it today. When he says, love your neighbor as yourself, it's not an option for you and me. This is the kind of love, an agape love, that God expects us to bear. Because please listen to me. Above every other form of love, it's the only love that will have an impact in this wicked world. Above every other form of love, it's the only fruit that this world can taste of and see that God is good. You see, phileo love, even though it's in Scripture and even though it's, it's, it's a love that can be cultivated or part of the kingdom of God, it's almost a reciprocal love. That if you do this for me, then I'll do that for you. If you love me, then, then I'll love you. But that will fail. The agape love says, doesn't matter how my boss treats me. Doesn't matter how my neighbor treats me. It doesn't matter what accusations come my way. It doesn't matter what somebody done me wrong song the devil might want us to sing. We aren't going to sing it because we've got agape love being cultivated in our lives. It's unconditional. It's unchangeable. It's unmovable. You see, a lot of us, church, I'm not in the secular workplace anymore. I used to be. But please don't think that just because pastors stand up here behind a pulpit, they don't got to deal with the flesh now and then in people. Don't think that we don't encounter the things that you encounter in your workplace or in your home with an unsaved husband or an unsaved wife or rebellious children. We encounter the same exact things. And in every area of our life, God is saying, I want you to produce the fruit of love. Because that is what makes a difference. That's what makes us profitable to the Master. Amen? That passage in Matthew 22, 36 to 40, write it down because that's where the command to love or agape comes from. You shall love or agape the the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. This is the great and foremost commandment. Please understand what he's saying here. This is a command that has come forth from the lips of God. 
In other words, he's standing here tonight saying, I'm commanding that you as my children bear this fruit of love. It's not an option. Now, yeah, listen, there's times that that fruit might not be full in our life. And when it's not, guess what? We got to plan ourselves a little deeper. If you're having a hard time at work, if you're having a hard time in your household, if you're having a hard time in the relationship with your son or your daughter, manifesting this fruit of love, this agape love. Listen, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm just here to tell you that you got to dig a little bit deeper into the love of God itself so that it can gush forth from your life. you gotta, you got to store up a little bit more of the love of God so that you can demonstrate that love. Amen? I'm going to bring this to a close with this. I want to read 1 Corinthians 13 this way to better define agape. Since agape is the loftiest form of love and the highest form of love, we can read it like this. Agape is patient. Agape is kind. Eros isn't patient. Eros isn't kind. Stergo does not envy. You see what I'm saying? It's not those words. Agape is kind. Agape does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered and it keeps no records of wrong. Agape does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes, no matter what lot in life it finds itself in. It always perseveres, no matter what hounds of hell are coming against it. Agape, this is powerful, church. It never fails. The love of God has never failed you. The love of God has never failed me. The love of God has never failed one single individual on this earth, but the sad reality is we've failed him time and time again. But agape never fails. It's a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When others fail you, agape never fails. When others speak all sorts of evil against you, agape should never fail. When things don't go your way, agape doesn't walk away. When you're offended or you're hurt, you're spoken unkindly to, abused or used like the disciples, agape offends not in return. The reality is if we claim to be Christians, as I wrap this up, here's what I want you to understand. If we claim to be Christians, and the word Christian means Christ-like, or it means containing the character of Christ. And if Christ is love and God is love and Christ is the ultimate highest form of love, then I believe in all reality we can replace this word love or agape in 1 Corinthians and replace it with the word Christian. Or better yet, we should be able to replace it with our own name and read it like this. Jeff is patient. Jeff is kind. He is not jealous. Daryl does not brag and is not arrogant. Nelson does not act becomingly, nor does he seek his own will. Martha is not easily provoked. She does not take into account any wrong suffered. She does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Jeff bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things endures all things. Jeff's love never fails. I should be able to say that every single day. 
This is what God wants to say of you, and it's what God wants to say of me. And I'm closing with this poem concerning the fruit of love. Is love silent when my words would hurt? Is it patient when my neighbors curt? Is it deafness when scandal flows? Is it thoughtfulness for others' woes? Is it prompt when duty calls? Is it courage when misfortune falls? Is it bright even when the sun won't shine? Does it say not my will, O Lord, but thine? Is agape produced on every branch? Or does it fail at every chance? Does the love of God grow on my tree when he looks for love? Is it found in me? God's greatest gift was from above. So does my life reflect his love? And that's the question that the Holy Spirit has for us tonight. Are we bearing the fruit of agape? Are we bearing the right representation of Jesus Christ? If we are, we'll make a difference in this world. We'll make a difference in our household, in our marriages, in our neighborhood, in our workplace. If we're not, we need to seek the love of God to be developed in our lives. Amen? How many of you want to be a bearer of this fruit called love? If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet because that's simply how I'm ending. I'm not hyping anything up tonight. I just want us to commit ourselves to saying, God... You know, I really might need you to do a little bit of cultivating in the soil of my soul because the fruit that you've asked me to bear, it's a little sparse tonight.